So Target's Pride collection, as always, kind of bonkers insane. I saw a pink crop top that said, live, laugh, lesbian. Brittany S. Pierce would wear the heck out of that shirt. Sing Stations podcast. I am Eliza, and I think that if the Met Gala was going to have a theme honoring an iconic man in fashion, that Kurt Hummel was right there. Yeah, Kurt Hummel was right there. Who cares about Carl Lagerfeld or whatever his name was? My understanding is that he was a pretty bad dude. My understanding is that he was really racist and fat phobic. Kurt Hummel was right there. Hi, my name is Olive. And I think it's a tragedy that Cord Overstreet and Harry Shum Jr. were not also cast as Kens in the new Barbie movie. I feel like this is an opinion that you've expressed before. We cut it out of the last episode, but I thought it was super important to include. I think that that's completely fair. So um, this episode actually doesn't even open with a here's what you missed on Glee. But the really big thing to remember is that like A, Puck slept with Shelby and B, Rachel stuffed the ballot box for the student election thing. And so she and is not suspended. Yeah, she's suspended, not allowed to compete. And they do this whole like, oh my God, there's no way the New Directions can win if they don't have Rachel. And it's like, whatever. It's like, fuck off. <laughs> but we open the episode and we get this whole conversation with Quinn and Rachel in the hallway where she says, oh, we won't have any trouble beating the treble tones because I'm about to go tell Figgins that Shelby is sleeping with Puck. And at first Rachel's like, oh, well, you can't just make up a dangerous rumor about her. And Quinn's like, it's not a rumor. He told me. Because he did. He did. That is sure a thing that he did with his mouth that he said with his words. I'm a little torn because I do. I think that Quinn should tell Figgins. I think that if a teacher sleeps with a student, they should get fired, period. But and then, it's my issue is that like okay this is coming from Quinn and Quinn has a questionable history re Shelby's accusations against Shelby right and like we've said it before but this ridiculous like Quinn thinks that if Shelby is proven as an unfit mother then she'll get Beth back and like that's not how that works at all Rachel tries to argue that like oh well Puck is 18 so like Yes, it's gross, but it's technically not illegal. And it, yes, it is. It is I, illegal for a teacher to sleep with a student. Even if they're 18. I I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again. 18 feels like too young. Yeah. 19 feels like too young. I would say, I say as soon as you reach the age of like 23, you look back on an 18 year old and go, oh, you're a baby still. This is a child. Um, I feel like I was 20 looking back on 18 year olds and being like, wow, you're a baby. Yeah. Yeah. Also that that's fair. So yeah. Quinn is like convinced that once she proves that Shelby's an unfit mother, then she will get Beth back. And Rachel is like, no, this is like really rock bottom. You would be ruining Beth's life because it would take away her mom's income. And so it would just be making things worse overall. Yeah. I'm I'm glad that the Puck and Shelby line ends as quickly as it begins. Yeah, because I'm tired of talking about this shit. Yeah, because she leaves right after this and it's like, great, Idina Menzel has filled her contract. We're done with it. We cut to the Glee Club where apparently sectionals is being held at McKinley this year. And they say... They say that it hasn't happened since 1963. I'm like so certain we've had some competition at McKinley before this, but I guess not. Also, I don't think that the whatever this regional glee club thing has been. Actually, I don't believe that William McKinley High School has been around since 1963. Finn or Blaine or whoever, they're trying to plan it a little bit because, of course, they haven't chosen songs the day before the competition. Of course. Of course And Finn argues, like, we need to kind of concentrate on how we don't have a lot of performers since we've lost, you know, basically all of the girls. We only have Tina and Quinn left. And a lot of the guys, like, aren't really stepping up to the plate. I would argue they have a lot of guys who could step up to the plate. Mike, Blaine, Kurt, like. Yeah. So we've got Harry Shum Jr. who's got, like, a little bit of, like, a deeper voice. We've got Darren Chris. 
who has like a more of a tenor e traditional tenor voice and then you've got chris colfer you've got chris colfer who you know everyone knows what chris colfer's voice sounds like i think that you could fucking slam a duet not yeah, a, duet, easily. a a trio easily. of them easily that would kill i do think it is good they eventually go with like group numbers but in this scene specifically finn is like no we need to get sam evans back and will is like well too bad because his whole family moved out of state but finn says like no it's only four hours there and back to kentucky where he lives now so like uh i can easily go get him as long as his parents say it's okay and then we cut to kurt and blaine at the lima bean talking about sectionals where kurt is like i don't have the i don't have miata i don't have the student election um, there's no way I'm getting anything I want out of college. If I don't win sectionals, I'll have nothing to live for. And I, that is ridiculous, right? But also the well, most- Also, I, I will say, I think that this is one of the times where Glee is just like an outstandingly accurate representation of being the age that these characters are. I would. That's what I was like about to say. Yeah, if you're Kurt Hummel and you're 17, 18, and all of you're these like, things pile up, I'm 24. Four things pile up, and I'm like, my life is over. And who should uh, walk into their discussion? This fucking guy. <laughs> but Sebastian Smythe from uh, the Warblers, dressed as a Warbler, because when does he ever take that fucking suit off? And he immediately opens up with flirting to Blaine. He says, I was sitting over there checking out this guy. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wait, I know him. So like, he's already coming on to Blaine in front of Kurt. And they're like, oh yeah, we were just talking about sectionals. I feel like Sebastian's whole shtick is that he's just like always pouring compliments on Blaine in front of Kurt to really like get under his skin. Sebastian's whole bit is that he's a smarmy little asshole. Yeah, smarmy little asshole. Blaine walks away to get more coffee and Kurt immediately goes, I don't like you. I don't like the way you talk to my boyfriend. I don't like your smirky little meerkat face. I don't like your obnoxious CW hair. I'm Obnox on to you. That's such a good line because he wasn't even the Flash yet, but they knew. They and knew that he's just sometimes, what I don't even know what this actor's name is. The oh, guy um, who plays Sebastian, sometimes you just have a CWS face. Yeah. And then what's so funny is he turns it around on Kurt. Sebastian says, one of us has a hard luck case of gay face and it ain't me. And I will say, Chris Culver has gay face. I definitely think Grant Gustin also has gay face. I don't think he is gay in real life, but like if we're playing that like, game, I would argue I would argue they both. It's not a competition, but neither of them are winning. Yeah. And uh, Sebastian's trying to taunt Kurt by saying like, oh, you'll just end up working here at the Lima Bean and like never amount to anything. And Kurt says, you smell like Craigslist, which is such a good roast. It, I would say that is on par with, I slept with your mother, nice Star Wars sheets. And then back to the whole Sam thing, Finn and Rachel have, I guess, taken four hours out of their day and have driven down to Kentucky and they are entering a bar space of sorts and it has Which like they should not be able to get into because they're under the age of 21 but yeah like suspend your disbelief we need to have sam working in the place that he is in this so to be fair i think you just have to be 18 or older and it's the kind of thing where like you would get an x on your hand so okay, the bar that's fair. knows not to serve you alcohol you know because sam sam is not 18 sam should be a junior right now so he's like 16 17 However, Finn and Rachel could be 18, but they walk in and both of them are immediately like a little skeptical, but Rachel's like, oh, well, he must be part of some theater group. And they just like find weird places to perform because there's not as many theaters in rural Kentucky. And they start doing these announcements. Oh, and Finn notices that all the women here are like middle-aged. Because uh, nothing is funnier to Ryan Murphy than an older woman coming on to a younger man. Oh, <laughs> say it. I, I'm going to say something that you may want to cut out, but like, sure. I find this to be deeply problematic. Oh, deeply. But knowing that Ryan Murphy is a gay man, mm -hmm. I find it one shade less immediately concerning. I think it's concerning in general that a, a person as powerful as he is in the world of television 
was choosing to promote these ideas. That's fair. I just mean... Impressionable young people. I'm concerned. Ryan Murphy, what have you done? Ryan Murphy, what have you done is my, like, reaction to this whole show, basically. But they're, they're setting up the stage, right? And, like, one guy comes out on stage. He's dressed like, I think, a firefighter. And then another guy comes out on the stage, and he's dressed like a mailman. And then... Sam comes out on stage and he's dressed like a construction worker. But guess what? He's wearing overalls with no shirt underneath. And he's a stripper. Yeah, pop music starts playing and Rachel realizes, Rachel, not Finn. Finn's like, he's like, hey, the music's kind of popping here. Rachel immediately realizes that Sam is working as a stripper under the name White Chocolate. Which I also hate. I, I hate it so much. And... Rachel has Finn give her a dollar so that she can approach the stage and is like keeping her eyes down so that so that she doesn't have to make eye contact with Sam but gives him a dollar and like kind of waves him down so that he knows they're there luckily that scene ends quickly but it's assumable that he's like he couldn't just like leave in the middle of his set is the thing yeah he works at this place where adult women like swarm him as a stripper you know, however many hours a night. It is so weird. And we cut to like, you know, the back kind of dressing room area. And he explains that he was working at Dairy Queen, but they were just paying minimum wage, which back then had to be like seven or eight dollars, we figured. So basically nothing. And he's like, well, I made, you know, way more money working here. And I'm ashamed to be working here, but you know, my parents' jobs pay for like our rent and our electricity, but when things go wrong or we need a new pair of shoes or clothes, that's where I have to come in and start helping out, which I think is, is very raw and real. There is, there's a part of me that wonders if there was some other job it could have been that would have been equally kind of like embarrassing for Sam to have, but not have the weird predatory. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know, Shade over costumed it. event worker, maybe, like, in one of those massive, like, mascot costumes. Maybe. Because then they could have made a bunch of furry jokes. Um, yeah. Not that I think it's right to joke about the furry community. Everything I've ever learned about them uh, has been mostly chill and fine. Yeah, I I also don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with being, like, a character worker at a theme park. But yeah, that that is a good example of something that could have been embarrassing for a 16-year-old to have his friends yeah, find out what he does. Yeah, that's what I was does. going for. Well, and if you really think about it, if if Glee was happening nowadays and was a Euphoria-type show, right, where, like, teenagers were getting up into sex hijinks, this could have very easily been a plotline of, like, Sam, the 16-year-old, has an OnlyFans. Yeah. Is a situation that should be seen with sympathy for anyone, but I don't really feel like that's how it's being treated here oh it's absolutely not it's being treated as haha isn't it so funny that this high schooler um is a stripper yeah haha his name's white chocolate let's laugh at it and then and then the scene with his parents that follows too so they they explain to sam that you know we would really like you back on the new directions because things have been kind of going haywire since you left and we're down a bunch of people um And also we see so much potential in you and you love performing so much. So let's go talk to your parents and see if they'll let you come live with one of us. I think he ends up living with Finn basically like in a spare room. And they go- Because that also implies that he also lives with Kurt, but they always seem to just forget or ignore that Kurt and Finn live together. Yeah, they like don't really bring it up much after like Bert and Carol kind of go go away. Like- because now Bert is a congressman or whatever. Anyway, so they go to Evans's house. Finn also explains to, you know, Sam's parents, you know, it's not like he would be homeless. He could stay with one of us. And Sam has, I think, a very difficult conversation with his parents where he says, you know, I don't feel bad to be helping you guys out. I'm very proud of everything that our family has been through and been through together. But I miss being a teenager. And yeah. his mom starts to cry. And like, that's the part of this that really gets me. It it feels perhaps a little disingenuous to have gotten to that point through the whole stripping thing. And then there's even this weird line where she says like, 
oh, it just makes me sad because his parents agree pretty easily to like let him go live up in Ohio again. And his mom says, oh, it just makes me sad to think of not seeing your face every day. Though I don't understand why the Dairy Queen makes you put all that glitter all on it. That's fucked up as hell. Yep. It's and they were like, we're gonna get rid we're gonna get rid of the Shelby Puck plot line. And just for this one episode where we're getting rid of that plot line, we're gonna make something even stupider. So we go from there um to we're like back in the choir room. So I guess they drove for four hours really, really quickly. Um, and the whole glee club's getting together. There's this throwaway line that is like sort of important where they say that the band members are joining the glee club for sectionals because they like need more people. And, and so they call the fucking play. <laughs> yeah. And so they call them floppy hair bass dude, chapped lips, McGee and Johnny tromboner, which is so rude because like they're helping the you people out that make it possible for you to do your stupid little shit. Respect the band. Mr. Shu walks in and he has sparkling cider for them, but Kurt is immediately like, hey, you know, we kind of have to A, choose songs and B, like things are going bad for us right now. No one thinks we're going to win. I don't think sparkling cider is going to help. But then wouldn't you know it, Sam Evans walks in and everyone's like, oh my God, Sam's back. We're going to win now. Isn't it so weird how they're like, staking everything on sam but then he like barely gets any solos once we actually get to sectionals it's fucking hysterical yes he does very little to be brought to make it such a big deal about bringing him back and then they perform toby keith's red solo cup which is fine it's yeah that's i would say it's fine it is it goes on for like, like a, a lot solid, of uh, covers it goes on a bit too long yeah, solid three or four minutes. I will say the you, sir, do not have a pair of testicles line. He says, I'm pretty sure to puff when I was watching it. And I was like, that is a weird choice, but I don't know who I would prefer him to say it to. I wouldn't want yeah, him to say it to. If it had to be anyone, I'm glad that it was Puck because I hate Puck to begin with. So I don't feel bad for him. Um, and also the band members are joining in and they do kind of make a point to show that the band members are like drinking out of the solo cup and stuff. And so like they're part of the Glee Club now too. Also the whole time they're performing, Kurt is like looking at his red solo cup with such disdain. He's holding it like a gross, dirty rag. He's like not drinking out of his red solo cup. I don't think he should have to, so. He's too good for it. And then at the end of the song, Santana walks back in and says, I've been keeping a notebook just in case this day ever came. She says, welcome back, Lisa Renna. I've missed you so much since your family packed their bags, loaded them in your mouth and skipped town. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to enjoy a crisp pickle, but couldn't find anyone to suck the lid off the jar. I assume you've been working at a, as a baby polisher where young mothers place their infants' heads in your mouth to get back that newborn shine. So glad you're back. I haven't seen a smile that big since a claymation a abominable snowman got his teeth pulled out by that little gay elf dentist love santana and he says i've missed you too santana and they hug See, this is my favorite of the santana roasts because you know that it's coming from a place of genuine affection where it's like this is my guy and i'm gonna make fun of him because that's what i do when i like people and he's gonna know that i'm doing it because i like him and we're gonna yeah. have a little laugh about it if anything, if I remember correctly, Santana low-key did Sam a solid back in the day because she was the one who told him that uh, Quinn was cheating on him. Yeah. And so do, 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 we cut to the hallway. Speaking of Sam and Quinn, we cut to the hallway. Quinn runs up to him and is like, hey, now that you're back, I just wanted to let you know Mercedes has a boyfriend. And right. he's like, okay, nice to see you too, Quinn. Uh, she's like, I've, I'm sure you've noticed that I'm supermodel thin now that my thyroid is under control. And he's immediately like, what do you want? Like, this is coming on intense. And she says, last year, I didn't appreciate you, but we're perfect together. I'm going to get Beth back and you would be perfect to help raise her. Bad, 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 bad. <laughs> oh, God. The, the, the come on here being like, hey, just so you know, your other ex-girlfriend or, you know, Mercedes, uh has a boyfriend so she's out of the picture right 
will you help me raise a baby? Quinn, that's got to be like conversation number four or, or later. That, that cannot be conversation number one that you have. It's like, it's genuinely, I feel like this whole season, or at least this first whole first half of the season, Quinn is in a massive mental health downward spiral. Yeah, huge, huge. And then he says, rightly so, Sam says, Quinn, you've got what I call rich white girl problems. It's a tough world out there, I know. Now I will say, I think Quinn's problems do amount more than just being a rich white girl. However, I will say that like Quinn as a rich white girl has so much opportunity to rely on the healthcare system in a way that Sam does not, you know? Quinn would probably very easily be able to find a therapist and psychiatric help, which she very much needs, as opposed to Sam's family, who was literally homeless this time last year. Yeah, I, she's definitely having capital P problems. Um, And we never, with the exception of like Finn and Kurt and Mike for those few episodes, we never get into like the internal family structure of these people. Right. I feel like if they had wanted to go in the direction of like, yeah, Quinn's parents got divorced, but like her mom is still super Christian, does not believe in therapy, does not believe in like modern medical, is just like, just pray it away. Right. Then I would have some more sympathy for her. And like, who's to say that's not what's going on? You can headcanon that is happening if you wish. But like, help is available to you, Quinn. You're just not having it. Yeah. Um, And I do think that part of that can be uh, not excused, but like explained as she does not recognize how much she needs help. She needs someone else to recognize that and no one else is. Well, and so first I want to point out this interaction, but then I will draw it back to what we were talking about. He says, you know, that song Jack and Diane by John Mellencamp and Quinn goes, please don't sing. And as we were watching this, I was like, oh, thank God they never did a cover of Jack and Diane. Because I don't want to hear Finn go, suck it on, chili dogs. I never want to hear anyone say that. Do you know this song? No. You don't know the song Jack and Diane? No, but I'll look it up now. Okay. Well, anyway, the point that Sam makes is that there's a lyric that goes, hold on to 16 as long as you can. And as we have just talked about with like this horrible plot line where he's had to become a stripper um, to help support his family and like none of his parents family knows about it he can't tell his parents like he has had to grow up so fast in order to basically become a third parent in his household so I think he is very much maybe the perfect person to give Quinn advice because he is detached enough from her situation with Beth but also maybe understands that inner desire of hers to like grow up he's one of the few who can be like this being an adult shit actually mad sucks yeah it's it's not just going to be happy and fun and perfect once you have Beth. we go to tina and mike in the hallway where mike explains to tina that he already applied to stanford and is going into their pre-med degree even though he wants to be a dancer and tina is like whoa 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 like you want to be a dancer it's your passion it's your dad needs to understand it's not just some extracurricular to you. Like it, it, this needs to be your life. But as you might remember, Mike and his dad kind of had this falling out where his dad said like, okay, if you're going to be a dancer, then I don't have a son anymore. And Mike is expressing, you know, my dad hasn't said one word to me since West Side Story. I'm fine with dancing in my free time, but I miss my dad. And like, I want that relationship with him back which is really sad to have to make that choice, I think. Yeah, and he says, I'll dance in my free time, everyone's happy. And Tina goes, except for you. Yeah, you won't be happy. And it's also, I think Tina makes a good point here too, where she says, you won't make it as a dancer if you're not 100% committed. And so like, if there is a part of you that wants to become, or not wants to become a doctor, but isn't fully pouring yourself into the career, then yeah, it's going to be harder to make it as a dancer. Um, She says, maybe your dad's right. Maybe you should be a doctor. And he goes, well, maybe he's right. And we shouldn't be together. Which is really too bad because we love Tina and Mike here. Assumably the Glee Club has now chosen songs. We don't know what they're singing yet, but they're getting choreography down. Because in this scene, 
they're starting to like learn some steps from Mr. Shu. I guess because they're realizing that their group is like mostly dudes now, it's like not super entertaining to watch. And Rory has a line. Rory says, sir, girls smell better than ham. And when they're dancing and bouncing around, you can't help but watch them. Girls smell better than ham? Is that a, is that a common phrase that I should know? No, no, I don't think so. I didn't think so either. Maybe it's an Irish thing. Anyway, um, Sam is like, hey, you know, oh, well, so Blaine first is like, well, what about, you know, this little spin dance move? We can do something kind of cute and cool like this. And Sam is like, whoa, 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 stop. We can't do those silly little boy band moves. What we need to sell is sex. And he starts oh, you doing like- teenagers. You're teenagers. You don't need to sell that at all. You're teenagers. And he does a body roll. And someone goes like, what was that? And he's like, this is sex. And as we were watching this, we were like, that's what sex is. Some of these people have had sex. <laughs> They're all just like, twisting their pelvises and stuff and i'm just gonna say this i think all types of dancing should be respected however if i went to see a high school glee club perform and i just saw a bunch of 16 year olds gyrating on stage i would walk out so fast i would leave i would leave so fast um, and there, everyone's like, Sam, that's awesome. That's the best idea we've ever heard. Can't believe we didn't think of that before. And I think it's Blaine and Kurt are not really into this idea. Blaine argues that it's selling out. Blaine is like, oh, well, you know, you're just desperate to win. And so, of course, you're using your assets to get what you want. And Sam's like, no, I'm using you know or like yes i'm using my assets i want to help us win and they actually end up getting into like an altercation in the glee club because blaine doesn't want to like quote unquote sell out or like sell his body i like i don't know if the implication here is like a little slut shamey because i don't know if blaine knows that sam was a stripper it's kind it's kind I would of assume that he doesn't know yeah um, it just it seems like a weird fight for them to have in the first place because I don't think they really know each other that well as characters. They don't know each other that well. My thing is, I think it's very interesting how they've made like the conscious choice to have or maybe the unconscious choice. I don't know. Because especially at the time in the culture that like the the hypersexualization of gay men and it's right. like all that being a gay man is is just having sex with other men. It's nothing. It's just gay men equals hypersexualized. Right. Um, I do think it's interesting to have the two canonically gay men be like, um, this makes me uncomfortable and I don't like it to, to try to be like on stage and like selling sex. Well, and they're right because they're teenagers. They're teenagers! Uh, I, think... I would like to preemptively say Will Schuster has done something illegal by not nipping this in the butt immediately. Yeah. Um, and then we cut from there. So, so Sam and Blaine are pulled apart, but then we cut to Blaine in the locker room, or and he's punching the punching bag, and Finn walks in and is like, hey, you seem angry. And Blaine is immediately like, you have a problem with me. Every Ever since I've gotten here, you have given me nothing but crap. And Finn admits like, hey, I was jealous. I, I was I'm jealous. sorry, you skipped over my favorite line in this scene, my favorite joke in this oh. scene. I'm which sorry. I started the Dalton branch of Fight Club, which I obviously can't talk about. Yeah. Finn's like, how are you so good at boxing? And he says, I started the Dalton branch of Fight Club, which can you imagine? Because he got bullied so much, so he took up boxing. Yeah. Um, I, I love Blaine's jock moments on this show. I love them. Um, but yes, so Finn admits that he was jealous of Blaine's, felt threatened by how talented he was how many solos he got but he does admit that like without Rachel you are the most talented member of this team and you know we need to work together as a team because we're definitely not going to win sectionals if there's infighting winning sectionals is an opportunity to be remembered at this school for the rest of our lives so it all starts here with you and me now let's get back to work and it's like okay i guess they're buddies again i guess that this was resolved so easily and quickly that 
it also I've never gotten a hint of tension from between the two of them before but like okay I guess I've gotten tension between Finn and Blaine for sure I just don't understand how we went from Blaine and Sam fighting to Blaine and Finn making up how come there's no makeup between Sam and Blaine because this show doesn't make any sense so we go from there to a little scene with Mercedes and Sam where basically he approaches her and is like, hey, I heard you have a boyfriend, but I still have feelings for you. And I don't care about how big or bad your boyfriend is. I'm going to fight to get you back. And Ryan Murphy loves having his male characters do is not respect the decisions of his female characters. And you know what? It kind of stinks because there's some part of me that that there's a romantic in me, right? That thinks there's something romantic about like, I'm going to fight for you. Uh, My love for you is strong enough. Like I'm going to stand by you no matter what. But it's also like, she has a boyfriend. She's telling you to back off very directly. If you actually like Mercedes, you will like her enough to respect her choice to date someone who's not you. Yeah. And then we go from there to, I guess it's Mike's dad working in an office or something. Tina approaches Mike's dad at his place of work and puts a DVD of West Side Story onto his desk. And he goes, what's this? And she goes, a bootleg of West Side Story starring your son. She's giving him this DVD because she's like, I thought you should see how incredible Mike is when he's performing. And the dad's like, no, take it with you. I don't want it. As he said before, like being a performer is the riskiest possible career choice. And, you know, he asks, you know, your parents know that you want to be a performer and she says oh yes my parents love me and he says well they love you but they're not honest with you because this past path that you've chosen will have so much heartache in it and it will have so few opportunities and she says I know I've heard the jokes I better hope they do a musical of the Joylet Club or Memoirs of a Geisha which I'm going to say this right now. That's actually such a real joke. Like that line is a joke, but there are only three Broadway musicals that have predominantly Asian casts in them. And they're all racist. The King and I, Flower Drum Song, and Miss Saigon. And so frankly, like why couldn't there be a Joy Luck Club musical that actually like honors its Asian cast members? You know, just putting that out there. Of course, Tina is arguing, you know, Performing is what we love. It's what I need to do. It's what I was born to do. And, you know, you're always talking about honor. So I think you should help your son honor his gift. And we go from there to, we're, you know, at the start of sectionals. So I guess it's the weekend now. Maybe she went to his office like earlier in the day. And the trouble tones are are about to go on. Everyone's about to start their performances. However, Mike confronts Tina immediately and is like, you should not have gone to talk to my dad. Um, because is, I, I do think overstepping boundaries a little bit. That's kind of weird. Yeah, especially since at their last conversation, like he had almost low-key broken up with her saying like, well, maybe we shouldn't be together. And he says like, I'm really disappointed in you. And she goes, well, I'm disappointed in you too. I don't, I, I don't really want to choose sides in this situation because A, the plot line's about to be kind of resolved anyway. And then B, I think it's just a difficult situation. Neither of them are really fully in the right. Um, But the treble tones come in and they make a very presumptuous announcement that when the treble tones win at sectionals, they are graciously allowing any members of the New Directions to join in them, to join their group so that they can still perform at regionals. And immediately Mr. Shu is like that's super rude and like supposedly it was Santana's idea but like that's an L on Shelby too to like or even like going along with it for a second when you know no one's even performed yet and Will's like well thank you but we're gonna concentrate on winning this thing and Quinn steps up and is like yeah we've got it in the bag because we've got Puck here with us isn't that right Shelby he's such a shining star And there's this little like moment of tension in Shelby's eyes where like, I feel like she's kind of thinking like, there's no way Quinn knows. There's no way anyone knows. 
what I've done with Pop. But it's like, no, no, oh, she, she does. TikTok audio sound. She knows, she knows, and I know that she knows. And so we go into the first performance of sectionals, which is by a group from Defiance, Ohio, called the Unitards. None of them are wearing unitards. I'm going to point that out right away. And this group stars Harmony, who we remember from uh, the episode where they, Kurt and Rachel, got their asses handed to them at uh, a community center theater club. And they perform Buenos Aires from Evita, which is quite good. And I would like to say this. I think Harmony should have gotten more screen time on this show, period. I think she could have been the new Rachel come season four. Or since she's kind of like a more self-aware Rachel, where I think she kind of knows she's being a bitch, I think she could have been the new Quinn. Yeah. I like that she goes after what she wants. And she's very, very, very talented. And I feel like they kind of wasted Lindsay Pierce as a winner of the Glee Project, only having her in the two episodes when pretty much every other winner of the Glee Project or runner-up got more than, yeah. than just what they won. But it's a very good performance, Buenos Aires. Um, I will point this out. We found it was very important. I don't think anyone watching this thinks that the Unitards are going to win. However, it especially sucks. It makes it very obvious to know who's going to win when both the Unitards and the Trouble Tones only get one number and the New Directions get three. It's not fair. It's super obvious who's going to fucking win this episode because it's like, yeah, who's got the most screen time? Who's got like 15 minutes worth of performances instead of three minutes worth of performance? Supposedly, the New Directions are intimidated by the Buenos Aires performance. It is very good. But as they're ending the performance, Quinn walks out and then Rachel follows her. Again, super important to note, Rachel is not competing. So she's just at the event as a spectator. But she yeah. kind of knows what's going up, going on with Quinn because Quinn told her at the beginning of this episode, like, hey, I know what's been going on with Puck. So she follows Quinn out and Quinn is like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to tell Fagans about Shelby and Puck. My question is, it's like evening on a Saturday. Why would Fagans be at the school? Maybe he has to be there to supervise the competition, but like that doesn't make sense. Who knows? And Quinn's like, I'm an adult. I can do what I want. And Rachel's like, well, if you want to be a destructive force, then that's your business. But can you wait until after the trouble tones perform? Because those are our friends and we don't want to wreck all of their hard work too. But Quinn's like, well, I don't give a fuck because I just want our group to win. And Rachel says, if you're going to go through with this, you owe it to Shelby to tell her first. No, I don't know if she owes it to Shelby to tell her first. Again, I'm very pro telling Figgins as soon as possible. I'm not pro Quinn's reasoning behind telling. Yeah. But I am so pro Shelby getting, I'm not pro a mother with a baby losing her job. I'm pro Shelby getting fired. I almost wish that this had been someone else. I wish it, I almost wish that it had been Rachel who found them out. I, yeah, I wish it had been anyone. I wish it had been someone who would do the right thing for the right reasons. Yeah, instead of the right thing for the wrong reasons. But, like, it's still the right thing to do. But, like, girl... And you know what? There's also a weird line here, too, where Rachel says, like, I got a taste of what it's like to do the wrong thing, and it feels awful. And she's referring to stuffing the ballot box. But, A, I don't think we're going to see that much character development from Rachel after this. And B, there have been multiple times in the show where Rachel has done the wrong thing and made you no character sunshine development. sunshine to a crack house. A crack house. She didn't feel that bad after that. She sang a song about it. Come on, Rachel. Anyway, so we go, we go into the, the green room and Quinn immediately approaches Shelby and is like, I know about Puck. I'm telling Figgins, you're getting fired. Shelby reacts really stupid. Really it's, it's weird. so weird. I feel like the show is trying to make me sympathetic towards Shelby. And she's like, you're so young and pretty. You'll always be pretty, but the youth goes away and you don't even notice it. And then everything will feel different. But don't wish your life away because I thought that being with an 18 year old would make me feel 18 again. But mostly it just made me feel old. And it's like, OK, I wish you had known all of that before you fucking slept with him. He's your student. 
he's your student. And she's like, I'm going to enjoy my last few hours of being a teacher. Few hours. <laughs> yeah. Cause I guess, I mean, Shelby thinks that Quinn will go and tell Figgins. So she's going to get fired. And then the treble tones go on and they perform the mashup of Destiny's Child's Survivor and Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive, which is perhaps the best mashup they ever do on this show. It is immaculate. Genuinely, I think that this is one of the best performances that Glee offers. Also, yeah. when they, um, what, whenever it is that they match the girls up and they start doing like, I don't think it's a tango, but like they, they do the partner dancing and it's all girls. It's, That's it's, good shit. it's almost kind of a sleeper hit too, because they start out with just, I will survive. You think they're just doing, I will survive. And then it ramps up and it hits its stride and it's like, ooh, I will survive. I'm a survivor. I'm not going to give up. It is great. The choreography, immaculate. The only thing, the only thing, I wish their dresses were prettier. Yeah, the dresses are good. The dresses are a really weird, like, V-cut neckline. And then they have kind of like a weird bubble effect around their thighs. It's just, they've had better outfits for competition. It's very 2012. Yeah. Oh, it's giving 2012 homecoming. And then do to do, I think the new directions are almost pretty immediately after them. They do a Michael Jackson medley, which is ABC control. Oh, by Janet Jackson, actually. And man in the mirror. Um, all of which are very good. Personally, yeah. as, as, as I would rank them, I like man in the mirror best and then ABC and then control. I don't really like it's a strange choice, but again, it goes back to my point where it's like very obvious that the writers want us to know that like, oh, obviously the new directions are like so much better than those other teams. When it's like, no, Survivor, I will survive slapped. Slapped the hardest that any Glee cover has slapped, I think. Yeah. And and the mashup that the trouble Actually, no, do, technically speaking, um, the someone like you did literally slap much harder, but we're talking figuratively. <laughs> And like, I think comparing Survivor, I Will Survive to ABC, Control, or Man in the Mirror individually, Survivor, I Will Survive is much better. But of course, with the three songs stacked against the one, it's like, okay, I guess the New Directions have to win because they just performed more. <laughs> what I will say about the New Directions, um, I love that almost everyone in the group gets a solo. Pretty much everyone gets at least, you know, a couple lines in there. And as they're performing, I think it's pretty early on. Mike's dad actually shows up. And so he's watching and gets to see the entire performance. It is very weird to me that this is the performance that like convinces Mike's dad that he needs to become a dancer. Because the choreography is also very mid in this performance. It's like he's done so much better. Yeah. And like don't get it twisted. Harry Shum Jr. is doing the best. He is stealing the show with all of these mid dance moves, but he's done so much better. He's done so much better. It's I, I want Mike's dad to like actually see him do choreography. That's good. Yeah. Like if they had performed Valerie, right? Remember in Valerie, how Mike and Brittany have like their whole dance break where they really get to like show off how cool and great they are. It doesn't really feel like in ABC or control, there was much that was like terribly impressive. And then Man in the Mirror basically didn't have any choreography at all. Anyway, um, I also hate these New Directions costumes, these white tuxedo jackets. It's so bad. It's so bad. The little like clogs that they have Tina and Quinn in are heinous. Most of the guys don't look too bad, but like, uh, also the skirts that they put with the blazers, I hate it. Yeah, the like weird tutus, like they did Tina and Quinn so dirty so dirty yeah also i want to note throughout their performances they get standing ovations in every single song the audience stands up three separate times it's bullshit it's bullshit if i was in the audience i would simply wait till the end of their performance like a regular person but instead they're standing up and sitting down every single song it's very odd anyway the performances obviously go super well and they're like, yay, we did great. They're running back into the choir room and Mike sees his dad there. Obviously he's like shocked that his dad came at all. His dad asked to speak to him and realizes, you know, 
dancing is your talent. It's your dream. And I finally see that now. And so if this is your path, I, I give you my blessing to follow it. Your mother and I will help you in whatever way we can, because we will help you apply to the best dance schools now and give you, you know, the best possible chance at becoming everything you want to be, which is beautiful. And, and Mike is like, I think I missed the application deadlines. And his mom is like, I sent them in for you and I forged your signature. Hope that's okay. Which, oh, well, no, it's not his mom. It's Tina. Tina sent, we find out that Tina sent in the applications for him. And that's also a really sweet moment for them because it was like, they were kind of close to breaking up earlier this episode, but it really cements like they love each other. And Tina, Tina knows what's best for him. I'm going to put that out there. Uh, yeah, it was cute. I liked it. And so they go to the announcements. All three teens are up on teams are up on stage and the unitards obviously get third place. We don't care about them. Yeah. Harmony gets Harmony gets this really bitchy line where she's like, I'm only a sophomore and I'm already this good. So next year is going to be a bloodbath, which is such an iconic line. I think is really funny. So I'm kind of sad that we don't see Harmony anymore after this. It would have been great to bring her back for a little bit. Like that would have been fun. It would have been great if she was the new Jesse St. James. Or the new Sebastian. Although we Yeah. <laughs> the new like kind of villain. Like she knows she's a hot shit. Like I think she really could have been a great character if they had given her a, just a fraction more screen time. And then they do second place is the trouble tones, which means first place is the new directions. Yay. Which is also like, I think a real fuck you to um, Santana after her whole, like, obviously the trouble tones are going to win. So we're graciously offering you to join our team. Lo and behold, the trouble tones actually end up joining back to the new directions. What is very like sad and dramatic here though, is that like, I, I guess it's diegetic. Like, I don't think this really happens, but basically they go from celebrating the New Directions winning to this close-up on Mercedes' face or Mercedes and Santana where they're realizing that they're losing and they're just like shell-shocked, staring out to the audience. And then the lights start to go down in the auditorium and like everyone's left and they're just like crushed by the loss. It's very dramatic. I think it, it's played very well. Naya and Amber were earning those paychecks. Yeah. And so we go to a scene with um, Rachel and Quinn just to kind of close the Shelby plotline again. Um, Rachel's suspension is over, so she's back in school. It was probably only like a week, maybe tops, that she was out. Quinn says that she decided not to tell Figgins about Shelby because she loves Beth and doesn't want to ruin Beth's life. Yeah. And um, she actually thanks Rachel for saying, you know, you kept me from doing something stupid that I would have regretted doing. I do think this is a good character moment for Quinn. I think it is a good character choice to have her finally choosing Beth over herself. Yeah, choosing what's best for Beth. Right, because, you know, we don't want Shelby to lose income and have that affect her ability to parent. Yeah. However, if Shelby didn't want to lose her income, she shouldn't have slept with one of her students in the fucking first place. Yep. We've said enough about that. And Quinn says that she is going to apply for Yale um, because, you know, she does love singing, but she's not as talented as Rachel and Kurt and she can still do drama at Yale. And we go from there. Quinn's got, you know, things that she needs to patch up with um, some of her old friends as well. So we go into a conversation with her Mercedes, Brittany, Santana, maybe even Sugar Mata too in the bathroom, basically, you know, all the trouble tones who previously left. And she's like, hey, now that trouble tones isn't able to compete every anymore, I'm here asking you to come back to the new directions, which I think is also a good mature choice for Quinn to approach now that things are kind of coming to a close with the trouble tones plot line as well. Because, you yeah. know, Shelby's, Shelby's not going to be around to coach them anymore. She says, you know, in six months, we'll all be gone and scattered and we'll keep in touch, but it won't be the same. So let's band together while we still can and have fun together. And Santana, of course, again, is like, well, I don't want to just be a background singer anymore 
because Blaine and Rachel are still going to be like the stars of the show. And we find out that Mr. Shu agreed to let the trouble tones sing at least one number per competition. So that means one. And Rachel agreed. Right. That's the important one. Yeah. So there will be one number of performance where Rachel is not involved at all, basically. Thank God. Fucking God. And so they basically agree that they will come back and go into a cover of We Are Young by Fun. Which is fine. It's fine. You know, uh, that certainly is a song to end this episode on where the theme has been Don't Waste Your Youth. Um, I'm going to say this. Fun is not, I would say, like some kind of indie band. However, there is something interesting to note about this Glee cover because this song came out and it did okay. It was a single. And then Glee did a cover of it and like pretty famously almost immediately skyrocketed on the charts. And so this is a, this is a perhaps kind of historic moment is what I want to note, because I think it really cemented Glee's power to not only take a song and like transform it as a cover, but also really affect um, Billboard records and like what being covered on Glee could do for a band. That meme that's like what no pussy does to a motherfucker, what being covered by Glee does to a motherfucker. I've never heard of that meme before, but yes, I agree. So uh, best song of the episode. I will survive. I'm a survivor. It's yeah, it's got to be like no questions asked. I'm going to give like honorable mention to Buenos Aires. I think it's good. Worst song of the episode. I'm going to say Red Solo Cup. I'm going to agree with you that it's Red Solo Cup. Yeah, I hated that shit. Control was a little boring, but I respect it. Red Solo Cup, I was like, why did we even do this? After hyping up Sam coming back so much and then to have him do that. Um, and then has Will Schuster done anything illegal? I guess not as illegal as Shelby, but like, as you stated, letting them do the whole like gyrating hips, body roll, hip thrust thing. It should have been illegal. Yeah. Why did he allow that? So next episode we are doing is called Extraordinary Merry Christmas. And we will do another Christmas episode recorded and released in like spring, summer on our podcast. In fucking May. Yes. Christmas episode in May where uh, we actually get a little bit more attention on Rory as well. Because like, remember, he's here. Remember, he's a character. I do think this is when the show starts to get good again. How about that? Is that something to look forward to? This whole episode was just so much. Yeah, Top to and, bottom, so much. And next episode will be so much. And the episode after that will be so much. The so much of Glee really starts right here. That is our show. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at SingSationsPod. That is S-I-N-G-S-A-T-I-O-N-S-P-O-D. Please leave reviews wherever reviews can be left. We love to see them. Uh, Please vote in our little Spotify polls. We have a lot of fun reading them. I hope that you have a lot of fun voting in them. Bye. Bye.